Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm your host, Farim Shamim. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of this podcast. As always, I appreciate your support in listening to the podcast. For today's episode, I will be focusing on a different topic where uh, because of what we, at least in Canada at least, we had our election on Monday, I figured that it was good for this episode to focus on at least recapping or going through what the results of the Canadian election say for Muslims in Canada, as well as what we can kind of learn about uh, the overall uh, landscape within politics in Canada. And I will focusing be focusing only on politics for this episode. And it's mainly because as citizens in a democracy like Canada, it's very important for us to be informed and aware of what's happening within the country, or at least what you know, what we saw happen uh, within the country, and so uh, as part of, uh, I guess, being Muslims in the 21st century, and especially as younger Muslims in the 21st century, it, it's really important that we stay up to date on whatever changes are happening uh, in terms of political and government changes. I wanted specifically to focus on three main things for this episode, and, and there's a lot that we can talk about uh, the Canadian election, but I wanted to focus just on three main things. And, you know, the first thing I wanted to focus on was examining the actual results of the uh, Canadian elections and uh, kind of what it shows, at least in terms of uh, the way Canadians voted. Um, and then secondly, I wanted to focus on some issues within the Canadian parties themselves in the recent election. And then thirdly, as well, the future of Islamophobia within Canada. Now, I'm not going to go in that order exactly, but those are the three main kind of themes that I'm going to focus on throughout this episode. And the reason I really picked these themes is that, uh, you know, it, it's the, the election, I think we should kind of be honest with ourselves. It was kind of a waste of time. Right. Like it, it was it really, really was a, a waste of time. And we kind of just went to vote for basically the same government that we had before. Uh, but even within that, there's still some really interesting things that I think happened or at least things that uh, we should examine. But also, um, you know, with sort of the same government setup, I think one thing we got to ask ourselves as well is, is there really going to be that much of a change or a difference as to the way that the governments are going to you know, interact with? Uh, you know, problems that Muslims deal with, and, and mainly with Islamophobia. Um, and I'll get into this later as well, but one of the problems that I had and a lot of other people had as well was that Islamophobia was a big issue before the election, but when the election was actually happening and the actual election campaign was happening, Islamophobia all of a sudden wasn't talked about as much. It, it all of a sudden didn't become that much of a, of a policy point or even uh, of an argument, and that's kind of disappointing. Uh, and of course, I'll get into all of that in, in a second. But first, let's just go through a, a sort of a general summary uh, of the election. So to put it bluntly, again, like I said before, nothing happened. Um, uh, you could have honestly gone to sleep, woken up the next day, and it would have been the exact same thing as it was the, the day before. Uh, and, you know, just regionally speaking, um, Atlantic Canada uh, sorry, I'm just going to break it down regionally here. I'm just going to go from region to region so we can kind of get more in-depth insight into, I guess, how uh, different regions kind of voted. Um, but Atlantic Canada was mainly divided between the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party. So uh, for those of you who didn't know, but for the Liberal Party to actually make any gains in terms of actually forming a majority government, they had to win basically most of Atlantic Canada. That didn't happen. They lost a few seats to the Conservatives. Um, in 2015, when Justin Trudeau was first elected, he actually won, I believe, like 90 to 95 percent 
of uh, seats in Atlantic Canada. So that didn't happen. So that basically made it much harder for them to actually get uh, the majority government that they were seeking. Uh, but nonetheless, Atlantic Canada was basically divided between the two uh, liberals and the conservatives. And the NDP, I don't believe they won any seats within Atlantic Canada. So that was definitely a big blow to them as well. Uh, meanwhile, uh, on the other side of the country, in the prairies, so this is generally speaking the area of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta, uh, the prairies, I think, as expected, went conservative. They usually do vote conservative. Um, it's probably Canada's conservative stronghold, and they voted overwhelmingly conservative uh, as expected. However, I will note that in Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Calgary, there were some NDP and liberal pickups. So for the most part, the rural areas within the prairies vote conservative, uh, but there was actually some gains for the NDP and the liberals within some of the city centers. So that I think is kind of interesting, right? Uh, the city centers are, I think as predicted, they would vote more left-wing, but nonetheless, I think it's, it is kind of interesting to see that uh, you know, there was some, uh, I guess, Western voting for, you know, the liberals and, and the NDP where you'd expect maybe for more overwhelming conservative vote when really that, that's not what you're seeing in, in some of these areas. Not that they overwhelmingly won all the seats within the city centers, uh, but for some of the city centers, there was, uh, of course, NDP and liberal pickups. Meanwhile, on the other side of the country, kind of just jumping back and forth at this point, uh, Quebec was pretty divided as expected between the Liberal Party and the Bloc Québécois. And the Bloc Québécois, of course, are basically a Quebec nationalist party. They only win seats in Quebec, so it's, it's not that crazy for them to win seats in Quebec. But the Liberals winning uh, seats in Quebec was essential as well because the Conservatives needed to win seats in Quebec, actually to get a, a majority or at least to get a minority government. They didn't get that. The Liberals got more seats in Quebec. Um, and so essentially that again reinforced the minority government for uh, the Liberals. Uh, meanwhile, then on the other side, British Columbia. Uh, British Columbia voted, uh, from what I saw, Liberal and some Conservative, but they also voted NDP. A lot of NDP seats do come from British Columbia as well, including Jagmeet Singh's, I believe. So uh, British Columbia was kind of divided up to, you know, kind of three parties, while Ontario was mainly divided between the Liberals and the Cons, uh, but many of the city centers within Ontario, like Ottawa, uh, Gatineau, uh, the Toronto area, and York Region, uh, went to the Liberals, or, well, York Region was a bit more divided, maybe, but um, a, bit, a bit of the York Region went to the Conservatives, but uh, for the most part, the York Region did actually vote Liberal, and of course, most of the city center voted liberal uh, as well. And the NDP pretty much lost in most of the city centers, which is, I, I guess if you're an NDP supporter, that is pretty upsetting because you would think, again, uh, you know, the city centers is where the NDP might get their votes. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, they didn't get many votes, if at all. Or actually, what I should say is they didn't get much seats, if at all, because they actually did get votes. And I'll get into this later as well when I talk about the voting system within Canada, but the NDP did get a considerable amount of votes. It's just that they didn't get enough votes to, to win the seat. In uh, out west, sorry, in, in Ontario, in Windsor, London, and the Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge area, and in Hamilton as well, mainly these city centers, however, voted for the Liberals and the NDP. So the NDP actually gained a few seats 
uh, in some of these areas out west from Toronto. So that that's kind of interesting as well, right? Like city centers didn't all vote for Toronto. Some of the more smaller city centers, like in London and Windsor, uh, or sorry, I should say actually London and Hamilton. Hamilton, I believe, voted in uh, one or two NDP uh, representatives. So they actually voted more for the liberal uh, liberals and the NDP. Uh, so there was some gain for the NDP there, but again, for the most part, they did get shut out out of most of the city centers. And the last point here is about the Green Party. It's probably the one successful thing uh, that the Green Party did throughout this election. Uh, but in the riding of Kitchener Centre, the Green Party actually won its first seat in Ontario. That's a big deal because usually the Green Party only wins in like Atlantic Canada and British Columbia. But for the first time, the Green Party actually won a seat in Ontario, which is really surprising given the, the you know, the, uh, I guess what the standard, if you want to say, that the Green Party was in at the time, which was basically nothing because they were an absolute joke. Um, yet they still won, uh, won their first seat in, in the Kitchener Centre area. So that in itself is a pretty big accomplishment for them. Now, aside from the actual seats that were won, just talking about the indiv individual parties themselves and, and their outcomes, I think it's pretty uh, safe to say that for uh, the first, the Liberal Party, there really was no real gains. Uh, again, like I said before, this election was kind of a waste of time. We didn't really gain anything. We didn't really lose anything. Uh, we just went to vote for basically the same result. The Conservative Party, uh, I guess, a sort of upsetting result because they're the minority government again. However, uh, they did technically win the popular vote. They got 33.8% of the vote compared to the Liberals' 32.5% of the vote. So if you were counting by just the popular vote, the Conservatives did much better than the Liberals, or at least they did a little bit better than the Liberals. Um, however, I will say that we have to take that popular vote with a grain of salt because a, a majority of that conservative vote comes from the prairies where you mainly just got, uh, you know, the, the traditional conservative voters voting for the conservatives. So, yes, they, they did get maybe the popular vote per se, but the popular vote doesn't necessarily mean that everyone across Canada voted for the conservative party. It just means that of the conservative voters, a majority of that popular vote came from uh, the prairies area. And then moving on to the NDP, uh, unfortunately, the NDP, for the most part, made really no progress whatsoever. Uh, they won the usual seats that they usually win. Uh, they got some, I think actually they ended up with the, the same amount of seats as they had before. Um, and so it, it was, a, I think, a somewhat of an upsetting or maybe just disappointing uh, result for the NDP. But if there is one, I guess, maybe positive, kind of a positive, I guess, the NDP actually got 17.7% of the vote, which is really interesting because the Conservative Party got 33.8% and they ended up with, I believe, 119 seats. And yet the NDP, who got about half about you know that amount of votes, they got 17.7%, they only ended up with, I believe, about 24 seats. So kind of a big disparity there. Um, and then moving on, the Bloc Québécois, I mean, uh, the Bloc Québécois only basically care about Quebec. So they got their seats in Quebec. That was it. Uh, the Green Party, uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't even know what to say about them. They, they were an absolute joke, basically. Uh, they had a lot of infighting leading up to the election, which, as you can imagine, didn't fare well for much of the party. 
they lost most of their seats. Um, they gained, I believe they won two or three seats. Um, the leader, Anami Paul, I don't know if you guys know this, but she lost to the liberal candidate, Marcy Ian, I believe her name is. And she actually came in last. Anami Paul, the leader of the Green Party, she only got about, I think it was like 660 votes. That is ridiculously small for a leader of a federal party. Usually, usually the federal, like the leader of the federal party gets elected. It's very rare that they actually lose the party or they lose the seat, sorry, because usually people will vote for the actual leader because they know for a fact that their riding is going to get represented by the actual leader. But somehow, <laughs> it's crazy to say this, but she not only lost the seat, but she came in dead last. So it was a very embarrassing night for Annamie Paul, uh, unfortunately for her, of course, and of course, uh, the Green Party as well. Not a, a great a turnout for them. And then last but not least, everyone's uh, favorite party, <laughs> not really, but everyone's party, the People's Party of Canada, uh, they were also a complete joke. They got no seats, um, although they did get a lot more votes in the Green Party, they basically ran on a platform of extreme right-wing, I don't know, politics. Uh, and I mean, you know, I, I, I can't say anything good about them because I they're a joke to me. So you know what? The People's Party of Canada, forget about them. You know, they didn't win any seats. Thank God. That's good because if they did win seats, that'd be a bigger red flag. But they didn't win any seats. And at the end of all of this, uh, you know, I've spent quite a bit of the episode on this, but I feel like it was important to go through this. At the end of all of this, we end up with another minority government, which again puts us right back where we began. And this probably also means that in about two years from now, maybe three years from now, we will probably have another election. So for those of you who are getting tired of you know, elections, don't worry because you're about to have another one very, very soon. But in sort of a broader sense, you know, another minority government is, uh, you know, I don't know what to say. It says a lot about Canada right now. And the biggest question as a Canadian Muslim is what Islamophobia's future in Canada will be now. You know, I mentioned this before, but like, where do we stand on Islamophobia now? You know, I, I was going through uh, some of the party platforms and, and I made some posts on Instagram. So if you haven't followed me on Instagram yet, please go follow me. It's Muslims in your backyard. But I made some posts where I went through the party platforms and I kind of evaluated them on how they, you know, were focused on policies that would help Muslims. So stuff like Islamophobia, uh, preventing hate crimes, um, you know, the Israel-Palestine issue, kind of the things that Muslims focus on. And I think that, you know, for the most part, uh, most of the parties did make promises on tackling Islamophobia and hate crime. Uh, you know, the liberals uh, focused on making, uh, I believe, like a national, uh, I don't know if it was a national summit, but it was basically they had a national action plan on dealing with uh, Islamophobia. Uh, the NDP had an interesting proposal where they said that there should be, uh, you know, a registered or not registered, sorry, they should be a, a specific uh, sort of um, Oh, I'm blanking on the word, uh, a specific um, part of the police forces that deals with hate crimes so that it's not convoluted into other crimes. It's just dealt as its own crime and it's given, you know, the proper time to be investigated and thoroughly dealt with. 
And, and, you know, those are some good promises by both sides. But, you know, I still sit there and I ask, well, where do we stand on Islamophobia now? You know, in 2015 and 2019, there was a lot of promises that were made to deal with stuff like Islamophobia, uh, to deal with hate crimes. And I'm not so sure if all of them were met. And, you know, like to some degree, yes, that's expected. It's the government. They will often make promises, unfortunately, and then not keep them. But nonetheless, like it is maybe something of question. Where do we stand on Islamophobia now? You know, what are these parties going to do when it comes to dealing with Islamophobia? Are they really going to to handle it? And, And I'm not trying to say that I don't think that they will or I don't think that they can. My worry is, is that Islamophobia will get pushed to the side because it kind of was in previous years. You know, people bring up, uh, you know, the London terror attack. And and definitely, definitely, London changed the opinions of a lot of people. And I talked about this in a previous episode. Uh, I believe it's called uh, Muslims Under Scrutiny, where, where I talked about how, you know, London and, and you know, the, the dealing of, you know, the London terror attack definitely changed a lot of people's viewpoints of Islamophobia. But nonetheless, right, after what we saw happen in, in Quebec, that happened a few years ago, and I don't really remember that much of action happening after it. And, you know, you know, right after it, yeah, there was a lot of talk about it. Oh, it was a terrible thing. It was terrible tragedy. You know, it was, it was so terrible. Yeah, they talked about it, but did they do anything? That, that's my worry here, right? And, and you know, I, I look at, you know, the, the way uh, that, you know, the, the country voted as well, and, and I kind of wonder about how the country views Islamophobia as well. I mean, the Conservative Party of Canada, for example, they didn't even have any policy platform or any policy point that dealt with uh, Islamophobia. And, you know, Aaron O'Toole made the usual thing where he said, oh, I, I denounce all hate crimes, I denounce all kinds of hate. Yeah, okay, but then why didn't you include it in your policy platform? You know, if you hate, if you are so against hate crimes, why not make a policy about it? You know, how, how do you not make a policy on it if you're so against it, right? Like, there's a worry to me because the Conservative Party, again, they did win the popular vote and they are the second party. They're the opposition right now, right? Like, there's there's a worry to me about uh, the way that, I guess, or, or what Islamophobia's future encountering it is going to be, Right. And, you know, on, on the other hand as well, you, you know, the, there's there's a lot of things that they could do in terms of actually countering it. And, and my worry is, is that are they going to properly fund all of these things? Because, you know, people talk about a lot of the summits or, or whatnot they did. They did uh, the Liberal Party of Canada did a national summit, I believe, on dealing with Islamophobia. But this was before the election. Right. My worry is, is after the election, are they going to uphold these same ideas? Are they going to keep to them? And that's where we come in. Like, this is why being informed is so important. You can't let them make the same mistakes again. Or actually, you know what? You can't let them make the same lies again. And I'm not trying to call any political party or political members liars, but it's very hard to trust your members of parliament if they say to you, we'll deal with this thing that is trying to kill you, and then they don't deal with it, right? This is why we have to hold them accountable, which is why, again, I will emphasize, you know, learn about stuff from, you know, the National Council of Canadian Muslims. Learn about from stuff about the Muslim Advisory Council of Canada. Uh, get, uh, you know, informed about hate crimes or hate statistics. Uh, I believe uh, the, I think it's called the Canada Anti-Hate Network. They also deal with stuff like hate, uh, hate statistics or hate crimes within Canada. 
We have to really stay informed about this because they'll just forget about Islamophobia somewhat to what happened after the Quebec mosque shooting. Yes, there were things about hate crimes here and there, but enough of that. Enough of, you know, we'll talk about it, you know, here and there or, or, you know, once in a while. No, it's not once in a while. It's happening right now. And that change has to happen right now. But even with that being said, I think that there's a, a concerning trend that we're seeing within Canada and beyond just, you know, the makeup of parliament. And it really comes down to, I think, the, the People's Party of Canada. And, and the reason I say this is because I think that the number one obstacle to dealing with uh, Islamophobia within Canada will be some of these clear internal divisions that are starting to starting to rise within this country. And, and I mean this sincerely, you know, like even just looking at, at the election results, you can see major differences. You know, the city centers vote mainly liberal and NDP. The rural areas vote the Conservative Party of Canada. Atlantic Canada was divided and Quebec voted for the uh, Quebec Quebecois party as well. Right. And yes, they voted for the Liberal Party. But even when you go to Quebec and you check the map, most of the areas that voted for the uh, Liberals were, relatively speaking, in urban city centers. Right. But the rural areas, some of the less urban areas in Quebec vote for uh, the Bloc Quebecois. Right. That, that's that's a question of, you know, internal divisions. And, you know, Ontario, for example, has a sizable number of seats where, you know, a majority of the votes come, you know, go to liberals within the city centers. But again, when you look at the rural areas, it's entirely blue. You know, there's a little NDP here and there, but it's entirely blue. And of course, the prairies vote conservative as well. And you just look at that and you have to sit there and say, this is a divided country right now. This is not a united country politically. The conservatives won the popular vote, but the liberals took power. How does that make sense? I don't know, but that's what happened. right? And, and to me, this is the problem when it comes to dealing with Islamophobia within this country. You know, I, I, I'm not saying that it will, it will be a problem, but I'm saying it worries me sometimes when you look at the way that you know, the electoral map is made up of – or sorry, is made up and sort of the way that people voted. Because regardless of, you know, what we want to say about the parties being in power, the truth is, and I think the honest truth is, that for real change to happen, to counter Islamophobia, we need all parties to agree to counter it. And this is going to be targeted at the Conservative Party, and I don't want it to be that way, but I think it kind of has to be. But the Conservative Party overwhelmingly voted against the motion to recognize Islamophobia a few years ago. And that can't happen again. It just can't. You know, if there is a motion again and it's voted against, I'm sorry, but I'll lose a lot of faith within, you know, the political system within Canada, specifically within the Conservative Party of Canada. And I've said this in previous episodes as well, but what more do you want to see to think that Islamophobia is a problem within Canada? How many more statistics, how many more incidents, how many more problems can happen before you just say it's a problem? Like, what do you want to happen for me to convince you that Islamophobia is an issue? How? How, how do you convince someone where after, you know, two, not one, two attacks, what more do you want? You know, if you look at any of the hate crimes uh, that are being recorded by the National Council of Canadian Muslims, 
You know, they, they will report all these hate crimes about people who are just minding their own business and they get attacked. What more do you want to see that this is a problem within the country? And, and we can say what we want about, you know, the minority government liberals and the NDP. They'll fight for Islamophobia. Right. But all it takes is one conservative government. And again, I'm not trying to hate on the conservatives here, but they don't exactly have a great track record when it comes to helping and dealing with Islamophobia. But all it takes is one conservative government to show up and they can just destroy all that. A majority conservative government can come back in and just eliminate all these you know, programs that might be created to help hate crime survivors, to eliminate you know, hate crimes, to counter hate crimes. It would just take one government. That's it. I know it's maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe uh, not a positive view to take, but it's kind of true. It's the way our electoral system works. It's the way that, you know, our our government works. It just takes one majority government and they can do whatever they want. And, you know, on top of that as well, it is kind of concerning as well when you look at the People's Party of Canada. You know, people think of them and I talk about them as a joke because they are a joke. They're, they're a pathetic joke. They actually gained a lot more support in the last election. In 2019, they only got 1.6% of the vote. But in the last election, they got 5% of the vote. That's a big increase for a party that really doesn't have that much of a, you know, a background. They were only created about two years ago. And they've already increased by about, what, 4.4% of vote? That's a big increase. And, and if you go through some of the districts, in, in many conservative area ridings, they did vote for the People's Party of Canada. They did. In fact, some of the ridings that the conservatives actually lost to the liberals or the NDP, they lost because the People's Party of Canada got the votes instead of the conservative party. And, and that really does make me you know, worried uh, about uh, you know, the future in some way uh, of Canada. You know, like I'm not trying to, okay, first off, let me, let me just be clear. I'm not trying to say that the People's Party of Canada is going to win I'm definitely not saying that. Trust me, they're not there just yet. Unless something like absolutely drastic happens, there's a very low chance that the People's Party of Canada will ever be able to form government for quite some time. But I think it is absolutely foolish to deny that the People's Party of Canada did not get more support. They got more support. They got a lot more support. You should have seen some of you know the the uh, campaign. Um, you know, rallies that Maxime Bernier held. There was a lot of people that showed up. People vote for the People's Party of Canada. And, and this is what I meant when I said that all it takes is one conservative government. It could end up that you have a minority conservative government that allies with the People's Party of Canada if they were to get enough votes and then becomes the elected government. And the People's Party of Canada is all of a sudden in power. And again, I'm not saying that that will happen. But I'm just saying that their rise in, in votes and in popularity, I think you'd be a fool to actually say it's not concerning. It's very concerning. Are they going to be a majority party? Are they going to be a major party? Probably not. I, I don't think so. But who do you think the People's Party of or who do you think the Conservative Party of Canada is more likely to align with? The NDP or the People's Party? In my opinion, and I know some conservatives might disagree with me, and I'm not saying it'll, again, always happen, but 
in my opinion, it's probably more likely that the Conservative Party of Canada would align with the People's Party of Canada, not the NDP. <laughs> Why would they even align with the NDP? They're on opposite sides of the spectrum. And it's definitely something, again, where it's just sort of a worry that I have now in my head when I look at Canada's electoral future. And one of the main reasons why Canada has uh, this sort of, uh, I guess, issues within its electoral system, especially when it comes to parties getting the popular vote and then not winning the actual uh, election, is because of uh, the actual voting system that we have. And our voting system is what's called first past the post. And I'm going to get into kind of explaining, well, actually not really explaining. I'm just going to kind of put in the simplest form. I'm going to talk about how Uh, you know, the voting systems kind of impact the election results. But as well as I'm going to talk about what's called proportional voting. And proportional voting is a different sort of electoral system uh, and a different way of distributing the seats that happen uh, as a result of the election. And the reason that I want to get into this is because when it comes to actual Uh, you know, government or political reform, because obviously, and I think it's kind of clear that the actual voting system can make such a huge difference on the actual results. And ultimately, if Muslims want that sort of change and that sort of, uh, I guess, uh, difference within Canada to, you know, tackle things like Islamophobia, to put, uh, you know, a, a bigger or a stricter I guess, um, you know, focus on dealing with stuff like hate crimes or even, you know, putting more emphasis uh, on uh, Canada's relationship with uh, Palestine and and the Israeli affair as well to ensure that we're not one of those countries that support Israeli war crimes or Israeli human rights abuses within Palestine. You know, it's going to be something that I think that we do need to focus more on. And and I, I want to be clear that I'm not going to endorse one system or, over the other. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, again, part of being a citizen is to be informed. And I think it's important that, you know, we are informed about uh, the, you know, the different voting systems that exist. And so the first one, like I mentioned before, is called first past the post. And to put it again in the simplest form, uh, first past the post is a system which elects a representative through their total percentage of votes within a riding. So essentially, the candidate that gets the most amount of votes is the one who wins the riding. And so first past the post is uh, is kind of a, a winner-take-all system. Uh, it's the only thing that matters within first past the post is the amount of votes that you got and whether or not you actually won the seat. So what this essentially means is that if a riding was divided into five different parties, right? So let's say people voted for five different parties, whichever party, regardless of how many votes the other parties got, whichever party got the most amount of individual votes is the one that wins the riding. And so that's why you saw in some ridings, uh, for example, the liberals would win, but the conservatives were right behind them with maybe, you know, a thousand less votes or something. But the liberals got the most amount of votes or, or the NDP or whatever. And so then that party won the riding. And so the good thing about first past the post is that no matter what happens, it will give a clear winner. It'll give you a clear party that comes out as a minority or a majority government. And it'll say clearly 
which party won the seat. And so that can be important because rather than having maybe convoluted results who you know kind of go back and forth, with first past the post, you get a clear idea of who won. The other type of voting system is called proportional voting. And proportional voting allocates the seats within a parliament based on the percentage of votes that a party received. So rather than focusing on how much votes a party received in a writing and whichever party came out on top, what it really looks at is how much of the percentage of votes in total did this party get. And of course, specific writings still do matter, um, but it it focuses more on uh, the popular vote and it focuses more on how many people within this country actually voted for X, Y, or Z party. And so a good example of this is what I talked before about the NDP and the Conservative Party. The NDP received 17.7% of the popular vote, but they only got about, I think it was about 24 seats. But the Conservative Party got about, I think it was 33.8 or something, but they got 119 seats. So it doesn't make sense, really, if you think about it, that the NDP received about half the percentage of votes that the Conservative Party got, but they got nowhere near the same amount of seats that the Conservative Party got. And so that sort of uh, disproportionate uh, voting results ends up where the NDP voters aren't actually being properly represented within their own government, right? And so this is a problem because rather than Canada having maybe 17.7% or whatever percent it ended up being, of parliament being NDP, it instead gets a very, very small amount being only 24 seats, where 17.7% would be arguably a lot more. And, And what it also does is it ensures that a single individual person's vote is much more powerful throughout the country rather than just within their own riding. Because what first past the post system uh, encourages or what it causes is called strategic voting. And a lot of you probably went through this and, and I know I did as well. And my, you know, my family asked me, you know, who should we vote for? They, by the way, you should never ask anyone that, but my parents kept asking me. So I kind of had to answer. But um, <laughs> but uh, first past the post essentially makes it that you have to vote for the party that you think will actually win rather than the party that you actually support. And so this is where people actually vote for the liberal party, where people will vote for the liberals because they know that in their riding, the conservatives will win if the liberals don't get enough votes. And so to avoid having a conservative government, they vote for the liberal party. But again, the problem with that is that if those people are actual NDP supporters, but they're only voting liberal, not because they actually support the liberal party, but because they just don't want the conservatives to be in power. And that's a problem, right? That means that our elections aren't actually truthful. We're not getting the actual results that we should be because we're not being properly represented with each and every vote. Now, on the other hand, proportional voting would, of course, solve that quote-unquote problem because it would give equal strength and equal uh, ability to every single vote. And so, again, if the NDP were to receive 17.7% of the vote, they would be able to get uh, that amount of seats within parliament. So, therefore, there is a direct correlation in proportional voting between the number of votes and the number of seats. However, 
there is also a drawback with proportional voting. And proportional voting is uh, – it's more complicated than first past the post because proportional voting actually needs a mathematical formula that essentially determines how they will uh, you know, divide the seats based on the percentage of votes. So for one thing, a lot of countries have – is a bar. So basically uh, a party has to get – let's say about 5 or 6% of total votes to get one seat. And then from that percentage, from moving on from that percentage, then it kind of divides up how many seats that party can actually get, right? So if a party got like 0.5% of the vote, they're not going to get 0.5% of a seat. That would make no sense, right? So that's why there's a bar that would then say that from that, then you can get seats. And the mathematical formula ensures that they're able to divide the seats up equally. But uh, as I was getting into this before, worry with proportional voting is that it will end up with too many parties in parliament, right? So for example, uh, the People's Party of Canada they got 5% of the vote, right? So by all accounts or by many accounts, they would have actually had some seats within parliament right now, right? But with first past the post, that doesn't happen. But with proportional voting, that could have happened. Proportional voting would actually give seats to the People's Party of Canada because of the fact that they did get a big chunk of votes at 5%, right? So there's a, a real big drawback with, per, with proportional voting because of the fact that it allows smaller parties into parliament, which in some countries ends up where the entire parliament is just divided amongst itself. Rather than having maybe a strong, you know, uh, you know, a strong parliament that uh, is made up of, you know, one, two or three parties, you have a parliament that's made up of many different voices. And in some countries, this ends up happening where you have a bunch of parties that all hate each other. They don't want to work together. They despise each other. They will do whatever it takes to undermine each other, and they refuse to work together. So what does that end up? You end up with nothing if you're a citizen. You end up with a bunch of politicians who only care for themselves because they're only caring for the actual party itself because of the fact that they're only worried about getting the seats and the, and the votes that they need because of the way that proportional voting works. I will say that not all results of proportional voting are like that, and there are ways to get around it. Uh, I'm not going to get into it because it's, it's very, very, very complicated, but I encourage you to go out and learn about proportional voting. There's actually a Canadian organization. It's called Fair Vote Canada or fairvote.ca, I believe, where they actually advocate for changing our system from first past the post to proportional voting. So if you are interested to learn more about proportional voting, please go check them out. They do have some great information. And in fact, they actually have a chart that shows how the 2019 Canadian election would have looked differently if we had used proportional voting. And I can tell you, it definitely does look very different. How does this connect back to us as Canadian Muslims? As I'm sure some of you are wondering. The reason that it's important for us is because if proportional voting was in place. I guess my, my question or my wonder is, would it be beneficial or would it be more beneficial for us as Canadian Muslims? Because when we look at some of the problems within the voting system, we're essentially not able to vote as you know a Muslim 
uh, you know, person. Essentially, what you really have to vote is wherever you live in your riding, right? And so, for example, if you live in a more conservative area, you kind of probably have to vote liberal. Uh, you probably don't get many votes if you vote NDP because it's highly unlikely for a conservative voter to vote for the NDP, but it is somewhat likely for a conservative voter to vote for the Liberal Party. But with proportional voting, you know, I don't know if that would happen anymore, right? Like, it, it wouldn't. Proportional voting would give us more power as Canadian Muslims. And I wonder, really, is it as minorities within this country, isn't that better for us? Isn't it? And again, I'm not trying to endorse it. I'm not trying to say proportional voting is what we should all want. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm sure there's arguments for first past the post. But there's a part of me that says that, you know, when we as as minorities vote, like we often will get muted in many other, uh, you know, systems within Canada, right? A lot of, obviously, the systems don't have the Muslim voice. But, you know, with a proportional voting system, I feel that as a minority, you'd get more power because you would literally matter in that your one vote could make a difference. And when you look at, for example, the actual, uh, you know, the, the voting, um, you know, or sorry, not the voting, the party platforms of, you know, the NDP, the Liberals, the Conservatives, the Green Party, etc., you know, there's a lot of variety, you know, like we were, like I was mentioning before about how the NDP could come to power. Well, I'm not going to lie, but there's a lot of things that the NDP supported that I agree with them on. You know, they supported a lot more, uh, you know, of a push for tackling hate crimes. They pushed a lot more for dealing with Islamophobia, you know, and, and the liberals did as well. I'm not trying to say they didn't, but what we saw with the liberals in the past, you know, a few years uh, since 2019 and, uh, you know, a bit since 2015 was that they didn't exactly hold on to many of their promises. And the partial reason was because of the fact that they didn't necessarily need to actually hold on to all of them because there was no one that could kind of push them to do it. Now, when they got a minority government in 2019, that was kind of different because they did need the support of the NDP for some of the policies, but not necessarily for all of them. And at the end of the day, you know, as as minorities that are voting, I, I do kind of feel that to some degree, proportional voting would give us more of a strength when it comes to voting. And, you know, even on something like Israel and Palestine, you know, I, I think, and, you know, I'm not trying to be, I guess, negative here, but I think for the most part, a lot of Canadians are misinformed about the Israel-Palestine issue. I think a lot of Canadians don't really understand the issues the Palestinians face. And, Really, when you look at proportional voting, you know, some people will say that they voted for the conservatives. But I, I do think that some of those votes may have only come because of the fact that people voted because they maybe didn't like the liberals or the NDP. But or maybe they didn't think that the liberals or the NDP could win, etc. Whatever. Right. But if you get proportional voting, all of a sudden, maybe that freedom for people to be able to pick who they want to vote for, you know, individually that might give some more, uh, you know, more strength to a party like the NDP, or even, uh, you know, push a party like the Liberal Party to take a harder stance on stuff like Islamophobia and Israel and Palestine, and give strength to things that Muslims worry about. Now, of course, 
I'm not saying that this is exactly how it's going to happen. I'm not saying that this is exactly uh, you know what we should worry about, but it does make me wonder, and I hope it makes you wonder as well about the importance that proportional voting could have for us as minorities. Then you actually do have the power, not your riding, because it doesn't matter what your riding wants. It's what you want that matters. And I think that to some degree, I understand that. And I think that for Canada and for maybe having a better democracy in general, this might be what we need to do. In conclusion, thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode about the Canadian election and some issues and some ideas that I had uh, in reflection on the Canadian election. And to kind of summarize the three main points that I think, I hope at least, that I conveyed uh, throughout this episode was that, number one, uh, there really wasn't much of a need for the election and we didn't really gain much, but there was still some interesting things that did happen, specifically uh, in the city center vote, especially in the prairie region out west. Uh, and number two is that this new mandate government, the new, you know, uh, or at least the second minority liberal government, we need to hold them and we need to hold this whole parliament accountable for making sure that they deal with Islamophobia. There was a lot of talk uh, after the London terror attack and then it died out. There was a lot of talk after Quebec and then it died out. We can't let that happen again. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, we can all single-handedly do it, but keeping informed about national, about stuff, uh, you know, to deal with national issues related to Islamophobia. So being informed through channels like the National Council of Canadian Muslims, the Muslim Advisory Council, through uh, and the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. And just in general, being informed is really, really important to ensure that we hold this parliament accountable. And then lastly, of course, the future of Islamophobia within Canada and in, in general, uh, you know, the changing nature of the Canadian vote and why we may consider a proportional voting system or a first-past-the-post system. But of course, that's something that I think that you guys should do your own investigation into because, of course, that, that's something that I think people should kind of learn on their own and make their own informed decisions on. But regardless, you know, I hope you guys did enjoy today's episode. Uh, as always, thank you guys for taking some time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I appreciate your support. Uh, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review on whatever podcast host you're listening to this on. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, it's very, very helpful for the future of this show and for me to continue making episodes if you guys do live, leave good reviews. Uh, and also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others. Uh, if you enjoyed it, I'm sure others would as well. So I'd really appreciate it if you could share it with others. Uh, and also, if you could go check me out on Instagram, it's Muslims in Your Backyard. I do a lot of posts uh, related to a variety of things related to Muslims, uh, but I also give episode previews where I sort of break down what I'm going to talk about uh, in the episode. So please go check me out on Instagram. It's Muslims in Your Backyard. In conclusion, again, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And inshallah and alafis, we'll meet again. Mm-hmm.